Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Gabriela Garcia is the author of Women and Salt. Her fiction and poems have appeared in Best American Poetry, Tin House, Zizia, Iowa Review, Michigan Quarterly Review, The Cincinnati Review, Black Warrior Review, and elsewhere. She received a Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award, a Steinbeck Fellowship, and residencies and fellowships from Breadloaf, Sarah Bandy Books, Lighthouse Works, The Keller Estate, and the Community of Writers at Squaw Valley. She has an MFA in fiction from Purdue University, where she also taught creative writing. The daughter of immigrants from Cuba and Mexico, Gabriela was raised in Miami and currently lives in the Bay Area. In her past life, she worked in music, magazines, technology, and feminist and immigrant rights organizing. Welcome, Gabriela. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss of women and salt. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. First of all, congratulations on this being a GMA pick for April and the bestseller list and everything else and all the lists that you've made and everything. Are you just, I mean, you must be so excited. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. It feels unreal still, you know, like I feel like it's happening to somebody else, but yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited that so many people have, have connected with the book. It's truly beautiful. I mean, I've literally been like recommending it left, right, and center. Like all these events, like, what are you reading? What are you loving? I was like, this book is so good. Uh-huh. I also then slip in and it's only like 200 pages. Yes. <laughs> because, you know, yeah. I feel like it's actually a little bit shorter than most novels that have been coming out lately or that 
I've been reading. Did you do that intentionally? I I have like a zillion other questions, but. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I I sort of wanted to write like a a compact novel and to sort of offer these brief glimpses of these people's lives rather than like a traditional historical epic that's like, you know, 400 pages. I didn't want to like trace the whole life of all of these, all of these women just offered in snippets. But yeah, I mean, I I feel like throughout the pandemic, I've like struggled to concentrate and read and have appreciated some shorter reads. So I'm glad that that's <laughs> that was exciting to yeah. you. Moms don't have time. That's funny. So I I saw an interview with you where you were talking about your own background and how having grown up in Miami, two parents who are from Cuba and Mexico, sort of inspired writing about a character like you. You didn't feel like was particularly represented, and that your experience hadn't been written about in the same way. So I was hoping you could talk a little about like the inspiration for this book and how it came to be, especially as a debut novelist. I mean, this is so so great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, so none of the characters are like really autobiographical. Like I'm actually pretty different from almost every, every single character in the way I grew up and everything. But I think, you know, sort of what I, what I was referencing in that is that I grew up in Miami, which is one of the few cities, maybe the only one, I'm not sure, that's Latinx majority. But, you know, there are all of these sort of divisions along racial lines, along class lines. And I think, you know, maybe being the daughter of a Cuban immigrant, of a Mexican immigrant who had, you know, different different sort of paths to migration in the U.S. And I, I think I always sort of felt that tension. And so I wanted to write about Miami and all of its complexity and these like really very different families who are living next door to each other. You know, there's Jeanette, the daughter of of Cuban immigrants, and she witnesses her neighbor, Gloria, who is Salvadoran, be taken by ICE agents, and her daughter is sort of accidentally left behind. And so that's sort of the catalyst that that brings these, these two families together. But yeah, I, I think I was sort of interested in, in mining some of that complexity in Miami. I loved all the imagery of Gloria and her fascination with birds and all when she was in the deportment camp. I don't know what to call it. The temp, uh, you know, the family camp, detention center, family detention <laughs> center. Sorry. Thank you. And like you have a fast, a fascination or an, maybe I shouldn't say it's fascination. You include animals in a lot of different places with like the Jaguar surprise and <laughs> like the bird analogies. And I just feel like you weave in all these very, you know, natural world elements into the narratives. Tell me about that. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think I, I didn't even necessarily notice that until people started pointing it out to me, but it makes sense because I, I myself have always been, you know, sort of fascinated by, by birds and animals. And I think, I think, you know, maybe some of what I, what I was gesturing toward is the wildness that exists in, in people, you know, and sort of these, these different animals like offer a kind of glimpse into, into these characters and how they, how they think and how they sort of, you know, see, see the world, you know, and in particular, like the character of Gloria, who's really into, into birds. I wanted to sort of show this other facet of her personality as she's going through this really difficult experience that she's just this like complex, interesting, interesting person. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And how some animals, so some birds even like commit suicide and how some birds are so bereft when they're like away from their loved ones that they, they can't survive. I don't know. It's just like this really powerful image (laughs) among many. Yeah. I I think I remember coming across that fact about, about that, those birds that sort of plunge to their death. And I was just, I never (laughs) sort of, that image just stayed with me for for a really long time. And I was like, I need, I want to include this in something that I write. Mm -hmm. You also did such a great job. I thought, well, first of all, of like creating all these characters who feel completely lifelike, but also talking about their relationships with men along the way and their relationships to their own sexuality. And whether it's being a young girl, sort of like, you know, at the gas station, provocatively leaning in and ending up at like a bubble party to Mario and Jeanette's like on again and off again, essentially, you know, abusive relationship to other male figures in the book. And you had this one paragraph I was hoping to read from the beginning about when she breaks up, when Jeanette had broken up with Mario. And you said that other life feels so distant now, so distant now. All she can feel when it's just two voices across an expanse is the knowing that still survives the body her fingertips memorize, the universe of a relationship, all its language and borders and landscapes, a geography she studied for years and still does not understand, a man who pummels a fist into her side the same day he takes in a kitten found lying in the crook of a, of a stairwell during a rainstorm. Nobody knows about the fights that got physical. Nobody knows these phone calls still happen. She thinks of Anna in the next room listening to the credits, thinks how even the best mothers in the world can't always save their daughters. Wow, that was beautiful. Thank you. Tell me a little more about this passage and even and how sometimes you have to hold on to pieces of the relationship, right? When you know you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think especially when when it comes to abusive relationships, like there's there's such a com- complexity in, in relationships. Like rarely do you ever meet someone who's just fully a monster and has no other aspects to their personality. And, you know, I think in in that case, like she's, she's struggling with that. She's struggling with the tenderness and the connection she has in this relationship while also this man is incredibly violent and and toxic to her. And so I, I, I sort of wanted to plumb that a little bit, you know, there's always like this question of why women don't leave, which, you know, it's really, complex and there's, there's so many reasons, but I think one of them too, is that some of these relationships can be really confusing, you know? And so, so I think in that, in that section, Jeanette is sort of struggling with, with that and how to sort of situate herself in this relationship history that she has with this man. And part of what it's pointing to also is the way that, you know, when two people have, an intense intimacy, other people can sort of look at that relationship from the outside, but nobody truly, truly understands it at all, you know, except the two people who are, who are in it. And that, that I think can be really difficult to communicate. And so I think she's also thinking about that, you know, just, just the universe of their relationship that, that is so, is is so enclosed, you know? Yeah. And then you have Jeanette, who's sort of struggling with the aftermath of her extrication from this relationship and addiction. And then her mother, who was literally like channeling Martha Stewart on Thanksgiving and trying to make sure everything in her surroundings 
were completely perfect and how different you made that mother and daughter. I mean, there's so many mother-daughter relationships throughout this book. They're all so interesting because of course that relationship is such a unique one that has so many different iterations. But the fact that she cares so much about how she looks and how it seems. And then her daughter, you know, is almost the opposite, right? And that she shows up looking her best in like a tank top and jeans or something like that. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little more about that relationship and sort of the need to control or to seem like everything is okay when it's really not. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think mother-daughter relationships can be some of the most intense, complicated relationships. And I think, you know, I think sort of both Jeanette and her mother are are dealing with the aftermath of, of trauma and violence, but they deal with it in very different ways, you know, and both are sort of destructive to themselves, but are just, are just very different, you know, and, and Carmen is sort of bearing a lot inside of her and just trying to you know, trying to portray herself as having it all all together. And that sort of damages a lot of her relationships. And, and yeah, you know, I think part of what I, what I really wanted to do in the book and portraying these, these 
mother-daughter pairs is sort of point to like to like the complexity of a motherhood and these characters, you know, I wanted to sort of write against some of the tropes that exist about, you know, women being strong or, you know, immigrant mothers in particular being like suffering and sacrificing all the time. And not that, you know, the mothers here don't suffer or sacrifice, but they're so, so much more than that. They're so much more complicated, you know, Gloria at some points, like, questions if she even wants to be a mother. And Carmen is sort of distracted by all of her own inner turmoil and struggles to really see her daughter. So they're really complicated in that way. And also, you know, they're all sort of surviving circumstances, but, you know, I, I, I did, like I said, I didn't want them just to be strong, you know, survivors. Like I wanted to also show the cost of that survival, you know, that sometimes, you know, you're able to survive in this like patriarchal misogynist world that they're in, but, but there's a huge cost to that too, you know, in, in the self. And so that's, you know, I was thinking about all of, all of that when I was thinking about motherhood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got the chills when Jeanette found, I hope this not giving, I mean, when she found the book that said force written in the margin, you know, Mm -hmm. oh my God, like what a moment, like, especially because like all your scenes, it was so, they're all just so visual. Like you can feel like the dust when the car breaks down in the village, right? You can, you can like hear the creaks of the porch with the grandmother and her like sleeveless dress. And like, I don't know, you just like have all these moments that are so amazing. And then to discover these ancient books and of course have the first half be like, well, could I sell an an old book like this? You know, (laughs) but this, this notion across centuries or over centuries and across generations of force and how people get through things. Is that like one of the takeaways not to like encapsulate your book and just like one thing, but just that our force, like our will to survive essentially? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many different ways of of thinking about that word force. And I think maybe that's why I was drawn to that phrase in these letters from Victor Hugo to Cuban workers. You know, I think there's that there's like what you said, like the force, the, the will to survive. There's also the way there are like historical forces, you know, at play that sort of pass through the generations. There are the ways that, you know, some of these women are sort of forced into circumstances where they have to sort of fight for agency, you know? So I think there's so many different, different ways of sort of looking at that phrase. And so I was sort of drawn to that kind of ambiguity and the fact that it can mean all of these different things that are at play in the novel. So Gabriella, tell me how you became this amazing novelist. I know you have an MFA, but like, how did this start? Did you always know you wanted to be a writer? Did you always write fiction? Like, how did we get here? Yeah. So I, yeah, have always loved writing since I was a little girl. Like before I could even write, I used to tell stories to my mom. I I would like dictate them and she would write them down. So I, I feel like I've been writing fiction and poetry and everything all my life, but it's not something that I sort of pursued seriously until, you know, like a good 10 years after graduating from undergrad. And I, I didn't study creative writing in undergrad. I, I never took a workshop actually until my, my MFA. I had many different jobs, you know, in music and magazines. Eventually I became an organizer working for feminist organizations and migrant justice organizations. 
you know, and I was doing writing in all of these jobs, but not, you know, creatively. And then I just got to a point where I really wanted to take my fiction seriously. And I thought, you know, I'll apply to these programs that I'm, that I'm really interested in. And if I don't get in, like, I'll just, you know, continue down this path. And, and if I do, like, I'll, you know, I'll dedicate myself to, to really pursuing this. And so I was really excited to get into, you know, one of the programs that, that I was really excited about at, at Purdue. And yeah, the, the novel sort of really came together in those, in those three years of my, of my MFA. Mm-hmm. And what are you working on another novel now or what are you up to now? Yeah, I haven't started on a novel. Like I, I do want to write another one, but right now I'm mostly writing poetry, mostly working on short stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did this ever, did you ever conceive of this book as, a, as short stories? Was it ever like short stories about some of these women? Yeah. So I sort of knew when I started that I didn't want to write a kind of chronological linear storyline, but I wasn't entirely sure of the, of how I wanted that structure to work. You know, there, there was a point where I was like, oh, maybe this is like a a linked short story collection, like a novel and stories. And then I started adding in pieces that didn't really work as standalone stories. And at, at some point I just gave myself permission to not, to not have to like define exactly what what this is, you know, but yeah, that's sort of the, the backstory behind the structure. So when you're not writing, like, what are some of the things you love to do? I, so I've been roller skating a lot during the pandemic, like many people. <laughs> I don't know anybody else who's been roller skating during the pandemic. Really? I feel so, like yeah. Maybe I'm just like hyper aware of it because I started roller skating, <laughs> but I feel like there are all these roller skating videos and people are, you know, have, have really, oh my it. gosh. Yeah. And they sort of like made this impromptu roller rink by by my house, by the lake. Like it's just like a parking lot and a bunch of people go out there to roller skate. So it's really fun. And yeah, I mean, I read a ton, obviously. I draw a little bit. I like to draw. What else do I do? (laughs) What kind of books do you like to read? I read, I read, you know, fiction, literary fiction. I read a lot of poetry too. Sometimes I read, you know, nonfiction, memoir stuff. Yeah, I, I read pretty broadly, I think. And do you still sort of keep your activist hat on? Yeah, I mean, I've done, you know, I've done some some work with organizations I previously worked with this year, but, you know, not, not in a full-time capacity like I used to do, just because it's really hard to sort of try to juggle that with all of the the writing stuff and the book coming out. But yeah, I've been, I've been mostly sort of focused on, on book stuff. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Awesome. Do you have advice for aspiring authors? I think, you know, the, the thing that's been absolutely most helpful for me has been being part of writing communities. And I think if that's in the form of an MFA, if that's just in the form of like attending more literary events, wherever you are sort of creating that community, I think just, you know, writing can be such a solitary pursuit and being part of, of a community has just really sustained me, nourished me. So I think, I think that's, that would be my, my advice to either find or create those communities. Awesome. Great. 
Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank yeah, you for this beautiful, you. beautiful book. And I truly loved it. And these characters are going to stay with me for a while. Is this going to be a movie? Did, the, did it get optioned yet? I'm sure it has, but... No, not yet. <laughs> what? <laughs> Crazy. Oh, well, even just the image of the cigar factories and mm-hmm. reading under the... I, I, amazing. Like I could just go on and on, but I won't bore you. I'm sure you're used to this. Oh my. Anyway. congratulations well done awesome I can't wait to see what else you write thank you okay have a great day thank you thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books don't forget to follow me on instagram at zibby owens and at moms don't have time to read books also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.